Now, the greatest story never told with Miles and Thrill. Welcome to the greatest story never told podcast. Available on radio.com. 53 episodes. We have surpassed the year in doing the greatest story never told podcast. And you think that, uh, man, surely these guys are going to run out of stories to tell. And we're here to say... Yeah, it's getting kind of close to that. Yeah, we're. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're I mean, it's not that. It's not that. In in full transparency, there's a lot of stories we could tell, but we are not so stupid that we would actually share them. Yeah, yeah. there should be no audio recording of our confessions of something. So, honest to God, a lot of times we're like, "Ooh, we should talk about blank," and then it's like, "No, we shouldn't," because that's real. What if someone real heard bad that, that certain person that we're that's whoever a, we're talking about? You, you have know? to think about timelines. You have to think about people that uh, will identify that perhaps they are the subject of the story. And sure. So, honestly, God, statute of the lim- of uh, limitations. limitations. Right. Like, why did you say that at that point in time? My such and such didn't know that I was at such and such's right. house. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because we're not the two worst people. There is a whole orbit of people that are up to no good, but they somehow hide it. So yeah. if we tell these stories, they get exposed for the fraud that we know they are. But, sure. but you know, their, their loving kids and their spouses might not know these things about them. Okay. I agree with that 100%. Now, uh, we do ask if you'd like to make a donation to the three local Fisher houses in the area uh, that will make you the uh, unofficial sponsor uh, for that episode of the Greatest Story Never Told podcast. Not sure what the commercials are that they're running right now, but we'll make you the unofficial sponsor. If you've got a podcast, if you've got a business, if you have something going on, you just want to get out the, the word out, uh, give 25 bucks to the three local Fisher houses. You can make a donation to the Fisher house in its entirety nationally. We prefer you go and uh, donate lo- uh, locally as we do with Men's Room Original Red and our sausage from Uli's World Famous Sausage at Pike Place Market. That's where the proceeds go for that. The new beer, we're hoping to uh, to get out with a lesion. Proceeds will go there as well. So if you could, we would appreciate that. Then we'll make you the unofficial sponsor. Now, uh, one thing you need to know is that uh, Steve and I are old. And uh, when I say we are old, we are much older than our own Mike Hawk. However, uh, despite well, I'm not our age, asking the Peter Marshall question for big dummy, yeah. D- despite our age, exactly, Mike. Yeah, no, Mike. You don't know who he no, is. Mike, no, Mike. No, Mike. And to give you an idea how old we uh, we really are and how long we've been doing this, Mike. What year were you born? I was born in 1990. You were born in 1990, Steve. What were you doing in 1990? Lots of drugs, playing in my band. I was 21 years old. And I was acting so like legally, a twenty-one year old. You're legally able to drink in a rock band when Mike Hawk is born. That is correct. Okay. In fact, how old's your dad? Because he's like maybe my four dad was years born sixty-three. Than me. So he's what? He's fifty-seven. He's, 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 he's seven, yeah. six years older than we are. Yeah, I could have been sitting next to your dad. We could be at the ball. your dad. All right. right. So we're so were you in Baltimore? Yeah, we were in Baltimore, and uh, the the band. Every time I reference the band, that is the band I was in, and I mean. Again, you're 21 years old. This is punk, ska, and metal are all kind of doing their thing at the time. We are now legal drinking age. Those drugs that are illegal now are still illegal then, but we are in it because at that age, you're pretty indestructible. Sure. You know what I mean? We drank two handles of Jack, slept for an hour, and I worked a double. Those were those days. Sure. And, uh, but, Mike, I uh, put it this way. Where I was in my mind and in my life at that time, even in the most desperate of times, your father would not have asked me to babysit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sir. Yeah. So he'd have been like, "Dude, you, not you, man." How about uh, you? 
1990, I had just broken my ankle, snapped the damn thing clean in half uh, in oh. football practice. Oh, no. I had uh, been training really hard for the year. I was in great shape. I mean, I had been working my ass off. And the f- second or third day of spring training, I completely shatter my ankle. It's my left ankle. It's the ankle you plant on. And if you know anything about punting, when you punt, your, your, your momentum in your body takes you off the ground. You go about a yard Not forward, Reggie and you land on your left foot. My technique was that. You're right. Reggie Roby. He's the only dude I've he, ever seen who punts and did not move. Kept his foot on the ground and kicked it five times farther than everybody else. <laughs> but in my instance, this was detrimental. I couldn't do anything. I was, I, I, you know, I was taking classes, built around going to, uh, to practice. Didn't need to do that anymore. So basically, I started kind of working toward actually graduating at this point in time. And once I realized that I had a clear path at it, I kind of started to take my mind away from the idea that I could play football. Uh, so I started smoking a lot more weed because I could. So I was getting <laughs> drug tested by the NCAA. <laughs> I started taking the classes that I couldn't take because they were normally during practice so I could advance a little bit faster. I was working at a radio station at the time. I kind of figured, you know what? I'm getting a broadcasting degree. I'll pick up my hours at the radio station. So yeah. I started doing that kind of stuff. And then I went in at the end of the year and told Coach I was done. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to work toward my degree. So that was and my, he was upset. The was coach the year, was. He didn't even get the chance to cut you. That was the year that, that, that you were born. All right. So all that stuff went down. But what we figured out here, okay, despite all that, we all work in radio. That's one commonality we have. But sure. we do have one other commonality between the three of us here. Yes. Now, Ted's not included in this. I don't believe maybe he No, he's moment. not. I don't think he did. But, uh, but either way, uh, one thing that you need to know is that all of us were members of the Boy Scouts of America. Mm-hmm. Okay? In so varying degrees. So what we would like to do today on the Greatest Story Never Told podcast is uh, share with you uh, one of the more memorable stories that we had being in the Boy Scouts of America. We're going to start with you, Mike, since All you're right. the Eagle Scout in the group, which means that out of the three of us, uh, Mike is officially the highest-ranked member of this organization. <laughs> if they had a scary. If they had a Boy Scout, like Elks Lodge type thing, like Mike would have a mug on the wall Basically, and we would not. you got a degree. Right. Like, right. We yeah. all went to school. Yeah. yeah, but you got a doctorate. Right. You got a PhD. <laughs> yeah, you got a, you got a, you got a doctorate of Boy Scouts. So what what is the uh, so what is the most memorable thing that happened that you can remember that just kind of sticks in your head? So one thing that always seems to come up when it comes to scouting and all that is they tend to go to summer camps uh, at some point yep. during out the year. It's a week long uh, excursion. Honestly, that is that is when I really started to find my own self reliance. That's when I was very much attached to my parents when I was a kid. I was a very sheltered kid, so going out camping was already a difficulty for me because I was away from them. Sure. Summer camp going a week long instead of a weekend, man, that was a marathon. It was a thing. But I really, really enjoyed summer camp. That's uh, uh, shooting. I loved going all to the shooting ranges that were all there. You got all your merit badges done there, and you just you learned to you tell did. what you were. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but one thing that our troop did uh, that was actually a lot of fun is that throughout your experience throughout that entire week, they you pulled out some part, part of your personality, and they gave you a, na- a nickname that they called you throughout that week. And it was a kind of a fun thing. They'd write down all the nicknames, and then when we got back, there was some big dinner that we would all have. That all the parents would come in and they'd get to guess who got what nickname, right? <laughs> this plays into the story. So one thing that we uh, also did while, while we were there is we actually loved to play poker while we were sitting there in camp for whatever reason. You know, you get downtime between meals, mm-hmm. between classes, between all this. So we'd play some poker, but we need chips. So what we would do is we would go to the trading post and we would all get these massive bags of Skittles and we would use those as poker chips. And it was it was it was a ton of fun but while you're sitting there you're eating all of these poker chips you're while, eating while your you're winning. Exactly. Yeah, right. The problem is is that we had one jackass that came into summer camp that year and he had the stomach flu. 
and he neglected to mention this to anybody in the camp until about three days in. Now, we had been playing poker. We were set. This was an established thing that we do at this point, right? right. It's, it's beyond the point of, hey, come on in, sit down, we're doing this thing. It is, no, nah, this is our poker night right now. We're doing this thing. And again, he neglected to tell anybody that he had the stomach flu. And so we're out there, and he's putting his chips in, and somebody collects those chips, and then he puts those chips in, and then somebody else collects those. He infected our entire campsite oh, no. with this stomach <laughs> virus that it was. Oh, my God, it was terrible. Man, our, our, our spot of pot, we called them Kaibos at the time. That needed to be emptied out like two or three times throughout the course of this week just because it was getting used so often. I got nothing done that entire week because, honestly, my stomach was hurting so bad that I just sat in camp, yeah. just leaned over in, in complete and total pain. The thing is is that I used to stun everybody. I can't believe that not everybody can do this, but I used to stun everybody with my ability to recognize that I was about to vomit, and so I would run up to the Kaibos. I'd do my do, and then I'd come back and slump back down, and luckily, thank God, one of the parents went out and got a bunch of Gatorade for everybody and spread it out amongst all the people. But the problem is is that with this particular stomach flu is once you're done vomiting everything in your stomach, but your body's not done vomiting, Bad things happen. That's where I learned about the dry heave. And yeah, that is yes. horrible. I am screaming into this void of a toilet that is echoing throughout the entire campsite. It was so bad. I was screaming so loud into this Kaibo that the uh, the the medic who was dealing with a massive crisis, like, we sp we infected the camp with this. Not just our campsite, but the camp had this plague is what we called it. The medic heard me from two campsites down. And if you know anything about a Jesus. summer camp, these things are spread. Our, our troop was at least 100 people, and yeah. that was a fairly small group. And so we need to be able to stack all the people into these different campsites. So for him to be two campsites down and to hear me just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 and come on over. So I got the nickname. Pardon me. I got the nickname of Echo for that entire <laughs> oh. trip because I was able to hear, you know, call the medic. Just from being in the Kaiba. I actually there. would love to go back to the Boy Scout camp where I worked at for uh, four or five summers and just kind of, I, I know I know the layout of it for the most part, but I would just like to go back and hike the trails and know the shortcuts and make sure that I'm still not losing my mind. But um, the one thing that we, I, I used to work at the, uh, the lakefront. I taught uh, life-saving, swimming, rowing, and canoeing. Nice. Uh, I did this for many years, but initially um, when, you're, when you're a rookie, so to speak, when your first year of being a counselor at the camp, Obviously, there's a lot of things that uh, the elders make you do, and then eventually you become the elder, but one of the first things that you do is you, a as a rookie, you're made to sweep the swimming area of the lake. Now, this is one of the coldest, scariest things in a weird way because you're basically combing with your hands and your legs. They had found bodies in that lake where people had gone out in the winter, anything, right? broken through ice. Oh my. Uh, it was one of those lakes where, you know, they found bodies in it. It was just whatever happened, happened. But we were aware of that. And, you know, you'd find, you'd put your, your hand around a, a stick, you know, those the size of a forearm or whatever, right. and it was all slimy, yeah. and you, you grab it, and it kind of break in, and you slowly pull. And you couldn't see it because the lake was so, you know, muddy at that point in time. It's cold. It's early in June. But you had to sweep all that out of there so that when the campers came, there was nothing at the bottom of the lake that they could step on uh, to make sure that no one had thrown a bicycle in there or anything sure. like that. But it was still sweeping that swimming area. You had to comb it two or three times back and forth. It was horrible, you know, because you're just picking the stuff up, hoping it's not somebody or something. Keep in mind a lot of dead animals in there. So we sure. found a lot of deer carcasses and other things. Okay, you get the idea. Well... I'm about 15, 16 years old at this point. 
I'm advanced. I'm not a rookie anymore. It is my job to make sure that these guys who we're also living with, the new guys that come in, they do all these responsibilities. Well, my buddy Joel, who I brought up a couple times in different stories, his dad owned an adult uh, suit clothing store for men attached to a dry cleaners. All right. So we had access to a storage room of mannequins. Now, the mannequins back then do not look like the mannequins they have today. <laughs> they had hair that was parted on the side. It was painted. There were eyes. There were uh, eyebrows. Uh, the lips were red. There was distinct facial features because these mannequins were used for guy suits. Right. You know, and, and, the, and, the, and the mannequins were man-sized because these are actual suits that they're putting on these mannequins in the window. Well, we had one. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew when these guys were going to do the sweep. We knew what was going on. We, uh, we actually had to weight that bad boy down. We weighted him down because he kept popping back up, which was funny because we had this guy floating <laughs> in the lake. We weighed him down. We got him to the bottom of the swimming area. And I'm telling you, man, the screech you heard from that kid when he pulled that thing <laughs> off was unlike, because it's still slimy. Right, it's right. It's still wet. You know what I mean? He freaked the hell out, man. He swallowed water because he's got gog- He's got, you know, he's got a mask on. He's got a snorkel on. He's got all this stuff. He pulls this thing. He's struggling. <laughs> and now he's got it like he's trying to wrestle it to shore because he thinks he's going to save this thing's life. It was, the, I mean, it was. Absolutely hysterical, but at the same time, we all had to honestly apologize to this kid because when he came in, he was hyperventilating. We thought he was going to have an asthma attack, the whole deal. What we did was after that, we continued to stack uh, this mannequin and put him in locations uh, around the camp with his Boy Scout uniform on because we all had extra stuff. So we dressed him short shorts. We'd stick him behind a tree. So you turn the corner and there he is standing there, freaked the hell people out. Uh, but that was one of the funner experiences I had. Was I, I still feel bad about how how bad that kid didn't come back and work again with us. <laughs> Are you I don't know why. I don't know why. Yes, maybe, you do. Maybe it was circumstantial. <laughs> but I mean, we Trauma. were we were pretty pretty brutal on the incoming. Everybody was everybody got it. It wasn't too over the top, but you know what I mean. It was like it was it was over the top. We we made them all use the one uh, facility where all the mosquitoes were. So as far as the outhouse was concerned, there were rows, but this one stall in particular was just filled with mosquitoes all the time. Right. They had to use that one. It was just, you know, we were just, we were that type of people. You almost killed somebody. I did not almost kill someone. I, uh, I excelled the possibility with which they might die, but I did not almost kill someone. I think that's a fair way of putting it. And I think I've told this before, but... Uh, First camping trip with the Boy Scouts. I'm still a tenderfoot, Mike. Ah. You know, you're an Eagle Scout. I, I, I am fresh into this. And I went into it because my buddy Brad and my buddy Andy were both like, hey, Boy Scouts, I think I was in seventh grade at the time, sixth, seventh grade, whatever. But I was like, you know what? That could be cool. But the real appeal to us was the idea of camping, right? So I had a vague understanding that you got merit badges and stuff because my brother had been a Boy Scout, but my brother is a figurative Boy Scout as well. You know what I mean? He's always a good guy. So it made sense that he'd be in the Boy Scouts, but he had nothing but positive things to say about it. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like fun. And uh, when I first joined, I realized like all of these responsibilities that are coming down, it seemed a lot less fun. But the promise of our first camping trip kind of kept me motivated, right? So we're like, hell yeah, man. So we finally get to go on this camping trip. And I can't even explain how excited I was because, like I said, I'm a young kid and I've never gone camping before in spite of living out in the woods. We had never been camping before. We're like, this is great. And they helped you find all the right tents, the sleeping bags, all the crap you need. So I'm like, man, this is money. But the one thing that freaked us out was you weren't supposed to bring any outside food in 
The food basically that they have uh, supplied for you is the food you're going to eat because you're going to be you're, you're living out uh, for this three day camping trip. I think it's supposed to be three yeah. days. Basically, you don't want bears, so and all that the, stuff is vacuum sealed. It's in cans, they right? But it's like dehydrated like, you know. yeah, tuna exactly. fish. I remember that, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" But the week before we went on the camping trip, they kind of they itemized all the crap that we're bringing. So me and my buddy Brad, we decided, well, all of this sounds fine, but. I'm just not down with dehydrated tuna fish, man. Let's let's sneak some stuff in. And this is about the time that Frito-Lay first started introducing the little bags. So you get the little bag of Cheetos, the little bag of Lay's potato chips and all this. So we stuff this stuff in our uh, backpacks. No big deal. We go on this camping trip. We march out to where this campsite's going to be. Everybody sets up their tents. They do the crab. Some guys are swimming. Whatever it is we have to do. But as the sun starts going down, that's when we're going to make dinner. That's fine. Well... Before this happens, we get, uh, I almost said this kid's name again, <laughs> who's now a grown-ass man, but this kid rats us out to the scout leaders that me and Brad have these bags of Cheetos and Lay's and all the rest of the stuff that we were going to eat, and this just pissed us off. But when word of this got around, we had to clean all the pots and pans after dinner. So once, just like Miles, you know, you said, like, you guys haze people when they come in. Once your your fellow uh, troop friends there get wind of this, they burn the living hell out of everything because we have to scrub. So, I mean, there's just beans that have been cooked into the pan, and it sucked. And we did. We washed everything because we didn't have a choice. And that was supposed to be the lesson learned. Fine. Well, me and Brad are stewing about this man because, you know, everybody made this our problem. So, I almost said his name again. So, we went after the now-grown man, the kid who ratted us out. Uh, smuggled them, zipped them up in a sleeping bag, smuggled them out of the tent, put them in a canoe, and pushed the canoe out into the lake. And then we went back to bed. We wake up the next morning, things are quite frantic. No one can find this nameless individual. It should be pointed out that the scout master, it is his son. Uh, but the, <laughs> they can't find him. Everyone oh, scrambled. Does he, has he wandered off into the woods? And trust me, Camping for this dude is probably nothing new. I mean, he was an outdoorsy kind of kid. He and his father, they were, they were just that family. Uh, so they spot this canoe out in the lake, and so me and Brad are being as mum as we can be about it. Like, huh, there sure is a canoe out there. I wonder why that's out there. But when you look at it, you don't see anyone in it. Because, again, he is flattened out in a sleeping bag. He probably realizes he's on the water, so he's going to move as little <laughs> as possible. right? So he's not sitting up or anything. But So it just looks like, it, looks like an empty canoe. Uh, obviously there was some concern that maybe had taken it out early that morning and gone overboard and drowned. And we're starting to realize the magnitude of our F up, right? Like, you know, man, we really didn't think this, this is going to be bad, 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 but there's his father in another canoe and he's rowing out there and he kind of disappears, gets smaller in the perspective, if you will. And we kind of see him look in this canoe and then you see like there's a mummified form, like sit up and it's just mm, this kid in the sleeping bag. And we realized, dude. I did say, son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, well, pops up, and uh, we see his dad. There's like a little bit of conversation. We can't hear it from our vantage point. But you could still see the scoutmaster's eyes as far out as he was. I mean, and it lays on me and Brad, man, and we're just like, wow, we really did not think this out. Now, look, looking back, I have kids now. I understand what my response would be, especially at that age, you know what I mean? You're talking 12, 13 years old, whatever it is, to find out that, hey, these kids have taken my kid because my kid did the right thing, freaking rat, but did the right thing. and Because, again, we, we weren't considering that, that thing could turn over and he could drown. 
We really d- mm-hmm. we didn't think of <laughs> yeah. that. I thought we just wanted to drown. We had to put rocks Look in the sleeping the, uh, bag. Counselor at the uh, lakefront area. So. Yeah. Well, when his uh, when he and uh, arrived back, sorry. <laughs> when the kid and his dad yeah. arrived back on the shoreline, man, I I will say for the first time in my life, like you can always say, man, my my father got so mad at me, I thought he's going to kill me. But deep down, you know, he's not going to kill you, right? There's just that biological imperative that you don't because I still love you somehow. Well, this wasn't my father. This is someone else's father. So when I thought this guy might kill me, I honestly feared for my life. But the camping trip ended. Uh, everyone returned home. So now everyone in the troops mad at us because we ruined the good time. Blah, blah, blah. Look, when I got back home and this story is relayed to my father, I, again, feared for my life. But I just had that one biological thing. Point is... Uh, don't try to kill people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, and that's that's not. We just thought like, ha ha ha, that'll teach him. But really, the next morning, like I said, just the magnitude, like, oh Jesus Christ, man! What? Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! I got uh, one one final conclusion of the story uh, as far as this one year of camping <clears throat> and, and working as a camp counselor. So it's like six weeks of being a camp counselor. Every week, a different group of kids come in from yeah. all around the state, and you you know take care of I don't know. 300 kids a week, and they bring 300 more in. They're coming in from everywhere. On the very last week, typically what happens is is the kids' parents come and pick them up on Saturday morning. Now, any other week, they've been picked up on Saturday morning. New group would come in on Sunday. You start the whole process over again. You start working with the new kids. On the very last week of camp, the kids come on uh, to be picked up on Saturday morning. We get the last of the kids out. That day, we are putting everything away. The canoes are being put on the racks. They're being locked up. All right. the boats are being pulled out of the water. We're taking the buoys out. We're doing all these things. We're basically just winterizing it. It's done for the year. But we need to do that on Saturday. Well, in the process of that day, what we typically would do was we would smoke weed and we would get drunk. Now, granted, <laughs> we are in the Boy Scouts. We are also, you know, counselors. So this is – we've had six weeks of kids. Yeah. You don't really have time to do that. We're going to throw down – Buddy's got fireworks going off. We're blowing stuff up down there. We're getting drunk. We are cleaning up the area. We're cleaning sure. up our cabin. We're packing up. We, we got trunks. We're getting all our stuff in. Buddy lets off this huge mortar. You see lights coming down on the dirt road down to the lake. And it's a sheriff, <laughs> all right, in like a like a Ford Bronco, like one you know, four-wheel yeah. drive, you know what I mean, kind of cop car, right? He's coming down the hill. We're all hammered, and I'm like, Oh, man, this is not what I need to go home to with my parents. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to go home tomorrow. We're spending sure. on Saturday night. We'll leave on Sunday, blah, 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 blah. Sheriff gets out of the car, goes up to the senior guy who is my scoutmaster, starts talking to him. He gets in the car. They drive away. All right? Turns out he was being arrested at that point in time for molesting someone in our Oh, room. God. This is when the scoutmaster went away. Yeah. But – he just basically told him to get in the car. It wasn't like we couldn't tell that he got arrested. He just had to go to the car. But it was the end of the year. So we didn't find anything else out until we went to our first real, again, scout meeting. And he's not there. And we didn't know why. But they didn't say anything about it. We were just like, oh, no. How did you find be. out? Because, right, they're not going to. Uh, the newspaper. Really? Yes. Damn. And then that was the last I ever saw of him. I lived with him for two years in the <sighs> cabin in the woods. Wow. Right. Freak. And you're so ugly, didn't he want to touch you? I know. <laughs> Think about, see what happens when you got a small penis and you're ugly? Win <laughs> win. All right, there you go. The greatest story never told. You've been listening to The Greatest Story Never Told with Miles and Thrill on Radio.com. 
Double Flush Production. 